Even before Election Day 2016, observers of technology and journalism were delivering warnings about the spread of fake news. Headlines like Pope Francis shocks world endorses Donald Trump for president and Donald Trump protester speaks out was paid $3,500 to protest would pop up seemingly out of nowhere and spread like wildfire. Both of those headlines and hundreds more like them racked up millions of views and shares on social networks, gaining enough traction to earn mentions in the mainstream press. Fact checkers only had to dig one layer deeper to find that the original publishers of these stories were entirely fake. Clickbait news sites making up false sources, quotes, and images, often impersonating legitimate news outlets like ABC, and taking home thousands of dollars a month in ad revenue. But by the time the fact checking was done, the damage of the fake news was also done. The story of the $3,500 protester already calcified in the minds of the casual news observer as fact. It turns out that it's not enough to expect your average person to be able to tell the difference between news that is true and news that just seems true. Unlike the food companies who create the products on our grocery shelves, news media are not required by law to be licensed, inspected, or bear a label of ingredients and nutrition facts. Not that they should or could be. But the gatekeepers of news media that we encounter in the digital age, the social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter, search engines like Google, and content hosts like YouTube, could and should be pitching in to help news consumers navigate the polluted sea of content they interact with on a daily basis. That's according to Berkman Klein Center co-founder Jonathan Zittrin and Zainab Tufekci, a techno-sociologist who researches the intersection of politics, news, and the internet. They joined us recently to discuss the phenomenon of fake news and what platforms can do to stop it. Zainab, I think both you and I are puzzling through the fact that these platforms are so dominant. There's just a handful of them, um, and really only one for each modality. So for microblogging, you know, it's Twitter, and for social networking, it's basically Facebook for uh, America, at least. And to have them adopt a complete shruggy strategy where they're just like, well, it's just a formula, what you're gonna do, seems to truly represent an abdication and potentially a dangerous one. And at the same time, to ask them to intervene and to intervene on the basis of making curatorial content choices is really asking a lot of a company to somehow uh, decide what America should see. It's, it's really hard to imagine wanting them to be in the habit of doing that and then imagining who could influence them to change their habit a little bit. So I, I don't know, do you see a way to steer in between those two anxieties? Well, the former anxiety, them steering what people see, what really worries me, I think that ship has sailed um, by curating your newsfeed with this very complex algorithm. I think they've kind of started doing exactly that. And that's part of my long-term beef with Facebook is the idea that they keep pushing this is under user control. Um, that is, of course, true, but to a degree. They have enormous amount of control they've been exercising uh, since they started algorithmically ordering the newsfeed. Now, I understand fully, of course, that they can't possibly show, you know, 1,500 pieces of content to everyone. It uh, kind of goes without saying. But they are 
making a lot of choices. And a lot of those choices aren't necessarily politically biased in the way we think of left or right, but they're definitely got bents to them. They promote certain kinds of content over other kinds of content. So that's, I think, one of the things. But a lot of the discussion for me has gone kind of the wrong way with this proliferation of fake news sites lists. I think that's absolutely the wrong way to go about this. I don't think Facebook should sit with anyone and come up with a list of sites. Because for one thing, it won't work, right? People will just come up with a bunch of other lists. I think there's a pretty robust list, list of things it could do to try to make its ecology healthier. And I think it should be totally open and say, yes, of course, we uh, are going to have a bias towards factual information rather than this misinformation that's deliberate and that's using our ad networks to make money. But that's not a political bias in the left-right sense. And I would be very wary, and I think we share that for them to step into that spectrum. That's like, I want them to stay far away from that while also doing both algorithmic and some uh, editorial choices to try to see what they can do to not do what they have been doing until recently, which I believe was making fake news and misinformation both financially lucrative and politically a very robust form of sabotage. So that's what I would like this conversation for them to go. And as for your worry that they're so big, I share it completely and I'm without any answers there. Well, my answer on they're kind of too big is that if they're going to be a platform, they should be a platform. And by that, I mean they should allow stuff to be written on top that can reach into their core functions and specifically to imagine people able to write and then share their own formula for what out of the universe of things might be presented in a feed should be there. Facebook can then apply that formula and offer up a feed branded by anybody and still salt it with ads so it won't affect their advertising revenue. But uh, not be in the position of being basically the only feed generator uh, for the world. And I, I think that may reinforce filter bubbles because people may choose formulas that happen to reinforce what they want to see, but at least it solves the problem of Facebook deciding for everybody, uh, according to their own trade secret algorithm, what they will see. And I'm, I'm curious how much you think that's an avenue worth pursuing. Well. Yes, for me, maybe for you and for some people, but you have to think, I think that this is very global. Uh, and a lot of people will have no clue that it's algorithmically filtered, let alone make such informed choices. I asked my students the other day, a class of 22, very bright students, they're in a class about social movements and new media. How many of them had known that their algorithm, you know, the Facebook algorithm was curating their newsfeed? I think two out of 22 knew that for sure. And we're talking about a flagship state university in an English speaking country. So I would welcome that as an option, but I don't think that's going to solve the problem considering there are places like Myanmar where viral fake misinformation is feeling ethnic cleansing and people aren't 
literate, let alone digitally literate enough to go the on the individual thing. And I think a lot of people won't choose. If you wanted to sort of have me like have a wish list, my, my, my wish list would be, for example, disrupting this fake news ad ecology. I don't see why they're under any obligation to let deliberate misinformation be so lucrative and they've made some steps i think they can do more and google comes into play here too because google ad, ne ad networks do this they could do better to figure out what kind of content uh, is deliberate misinformation from its structural positioning and metadata and try to balance that content not with their own editorial decisions but for example they could fix their related um articles part whenever i see some content i look at the related articles and often they're dumpster fire it's horrible it's deliberate misinformation that's being presented as related uh, articles they could fix that they could pair questionable uh, stuff with fact-checking sites so people can go and make their own mind up and they could support such fact-checking sites if there was any editorial intervention i would like them to maybe nix say the top three viral deliberate misinformation <laughs> per day or something, just to send a message. I don't think they'll solve the problem. People just come up with new sites. But if you sent the message that if you get away with it and get through the filters and go viral with a claim that's like a candidate somewhere killed an FBI agent, you know, that's that kind of claims that we've seen, you could just hold back their ad money, at least send a message saying that if you make, you know, $10,000 out of this, you're not going to get it. And that would, those are very incentive-based approaches because uh, I don't want them to decide what people can see. I just want them to not play to um, all, all the time, you know, the echo chamber impulses, not play to misinformation. You can't fix the demands, you know, sort of that's bubbling up for this, obviously, with just Facebook. But it's a it's a feedback cycle. You see more of this and then you believe it and then you see more of it. Over years and years, these things have strong effects and that's where I'm at. You mentioned that a couple times the microeconomics of it that's really driving things. And it is amazing to see how much of the literal fake news is being generated by people that don't even have a stake in persuading anybody of anything or affecting an election. They really are just wanting to pocket some cash. But if I'm understanding it right, you were pointing out this is a weird bounce between Facebook and Google, say, because there will be fake news promoted on Facebook. You'll see the link because you're sharing it, others are sharing it. And when you click on the link, it's taking you to a website external to Facebook that happens to subscribe to Google Ads Network. That's right. And as a result, the money is getting made when people visit the site and that's right. choose to click on an ad. And if that's the case, is are you thinking that Facebook, independent of Google, should just somehow follow those links to, to determine that it's that kind of site and then somehow change the algorithm so those links don't get promoted? One, yes. And I think Google should also fix this. They're, there's, they're under no obligation to you know help them make money. And uh, if I were you know going at this, I think YouTube was overlooked. Uh, YouTube's recommender algorithm is, uh, echo chamber machine. Uh, for work, I occasionally watch things that are outside my political sphere, maybe. Well, I watch a lot of things. And if I forget to make it a non-signed-in account, um, 
uh, if I watch, say, Donald Trump, I get recommended white supremacist videos. Uh, mm. So it's taking you down that path on YouTube. If I uh, watch something about uh, ISIS, which I do for work, it's a month of nonstop ISIS videos. This is ridiculous, right? This is the kind of, I think YouTube's kind of flown under the radar, but I think it's a major part of uh, what's going on. Um, so the, it's not just Facebook, it's multiple sites, but it's not that many. It's the, the, also, Facebook allows very precise targeting. Uh, so the marketing, I think, works like this. You go and you say, let me find a demographic that's going to be gullible to my misinformation. You target them on, by Facebook by paying. You pay Facebook $50. Yay, Facebook paid money. That's what Facebook thinks. And then the $50 gets you, I don't know, a couple thousand people but you've identified a gullible demographic, they're sharing it organically. And Facebook's algorithm deliberately highlights things that are shared through your peers at the expense of pages you've chosen to follow. So if you've chosen to follow Fox News as a conservative, but your aunt or uncle is sending you the misinformation that's generated by the Macedonian teens, Facebook is prioritizing that instead of a genuine conservative news outlet, let's say. Um, so after that, some people are going to click on the Google, uh, click on this site that has just gone uh, viral. And from Google ads, you just made $100. You made 50 bucks. If you're a teenager in Macedonia, that's great. Uh, that's 50 bucks more than you had. Meanwhile, you've just exposed a million people to something that's absolutely fake. But even more important, Facebook has now just told you, here are the people that are really gullible and you just scale this up. And I think this is, and they've let this go on the whole period before the election. They've just let this go on unfettered, both Google and Facebook. And I, I see no free speech or any other kind of defense of letting people be fraudulently, you know, made to uh, believe things that are beyond some discussion of, you know, is this just distorted or fake? It's just flat out fake. I don't see why that um, has to go on. Now, just a logistical question. Uh, when you say that the Macedonian teens or whoever behind the fake news for profit are cultivating a gullible audience and identifying them, is that because they're somehow persuading them to sign up for a newsletter or take some other step? It's not as if they, just because somebody clicked on their link, they're getting information about that person. Um, so their target, for example, if they know that people above a certain age in a certain state, they just sort of demographically profile them. And then Facebook has a bunch of very advanced tools, to be honest, that lets targeters find people like this. It lets uh, a lot of, there's a lot of ways that Facebook has developed that makes it an effective advertising tools that lets you profile people and then people find people more like it and then target more people like it. So if you kind of learn your way around your targeting and how Facebook works about it, you can just keep leveraging this up. Um, now, Facebook will occasionally turn down advertising that's unethical. Uh, it was caught recently. It was allowing people to um, have, say, job ads that would exclude minorities um, because of its targeting. Uh, and it changed that. It said it's no longer going to allow this. There's been other instances that I know of where it gets suspicious of uh, the advertiser's motives and it shuts it down. I don't see why this wouldn't be the case. If you're using Facebook targeting to deliberately um, find people to whom 
you can spread misinformation profitably, they can just nix that uh, as they've done with other cases. But I want to say, look, when we come up with the list of things, we're not looking to solve the problem of misinformation. I think the impetus and I think the anger that came with this was that they've just been shrugging this who me thing up to the election. As people raise this, this was raised before the election. It's just not true that it blew up after the election. In fact, I've been talking about this, you know, for years in different contexts, and it's a nonpartisan concern. Um, and it was only after the post-election backlash because of an election outcome, they finally conceded after the president of the United States started bringing it up. And that is worrisome to me that it took so much effort to get them to accept what clearly appears to be an obvious problem that is not easy, but is not without anything to be done. So that goes to your longer term worry. What have we done? You know, we've got one platform, uh, maybe two, maybe three that are so dominant and so unresponsive to the public that has made them so powerful by using them to share. And here we are. We've been thinking a lot about the kind of really clear fake news. You could come up with a standard that wouldn't require reference to the actual truth content of it or left versus right. Um, you know, when it's revealed that it's Macedonian teenagers producing word mm -hmm. salad, we'd say, okay, that's, that's fake and uh, others like it. But what do you do about what might be seen as a larger concern about biased sites, about quite established sites that aren't part of an ad yes. network, you know, that seems like a much trickier thing to ask Facebook or Google to be making uh, judgments about. So but two things there. Yeah, this is very true. But the th one, to, one, the fake news ecology affects the non-fake news. You know, there are a lot of partisan sites. There's some interviews with them. They're partisan. Uh, and they're not always honest the way I would like them. They're mishing and mashing information in ways that I would consider dishonest. Well, they were competing with fake news sites. And there was an interview. They had to keep pushing the envelope, even what they thought was acceptable, because the ecology was tilted towards that. So if you fix the ecology a little bit, that changes the incentive structure somewhat for them to hopefully. The second thing is if if Facebook's going to have a default feed, which it does, right? Right now there's a default algorithm for the feed. I would like it to tilt more towards here's some information not we're just putting in there, but information from your social network that goes against some of the things that we've already identified you as believing. They've already identified you as believing. And they've already got that information. So during run up to the election, I had friends who were Trump supporters on Facebook. And most of my uh, Facebook friends, because, you know, I work in a university, were not Trump supporters. I wouldn't have known of the Trump supporter friends if I didn't individually suspect who they were and go hunting for them on Facebook. I was almost never shown them. Uh, to me, that suggests that the Facebook is making a guess about my politics, which it is. We know this from, you know, if you look at the settings and is serving me more of that content. So if I would like this not to be the default, I would like um, 
also their related news thing. You know, I don't think there's a rule that says related news has to be, here's more of what you think. Well, because thank you, I will find more of what I think and my friends will give me more of what I think. Why not show me more of things that I might not absolutely agree with, but that's also coming either through my feed or wherever you're getting related news for. The problem with this is that it might not be as financially lucrative as doing what they're doing, but I would say that they got to be a $350 billion whatever market capitalization company because they have such a dominant, almost monopoly position as an intermediary around the world. And I think their moral duty and their duty to their company too is to say, you know what, even if this was slightly less financially lucrative, we're printing money, we're quasi-monopoly, and the very thing that made us so powerful is we stand with that alternative in this junction and take that seriously and make the default feed a more balanced one, not a fake one, not one where Facebook injects its views, but one in which that people get a more realistic view, both of their social networks and the world. Well, it also suggests not only could you change the way in which Facebook is deciding what to present to you, and as you're suggesting, it might be presenting uh, updates and shares only from people it's already thinking you agree with, it could change that, but it's been striking to me how little uh, there's been a change in the basic units of functionality of Facebook, that uh, there's still such a limited range of ways to emote in reaction to something that you Very see. true. Uh, the threaded discussions are pretty much threaded message boards from 1999 uh, that you could see ways of having somebody say, OMG, is this really true? And uh, have it bookmarked so that if further facts come in later that expand upon there that you go. outrage, they know about it. And so, yeah, go there ahead. you go. See, when you start thinking about stuff like that, there's all these things. If somebody shares something, and if that is, you know, conclusively debunked by, let's say, a panel that is in whatever country you've got a bunch of experts or a Snopes-like thing, and you can say, hey, do you want to look at this too? You can yeah. suggest this to people. And you see, there's all these things that can be done. I just, I, I think the irritation globally was this resignation uh, not resignation, but but this denial. Um, you're, I think that's a great idea to innovate. Also, the uh, user interface is so flat. It makes, say, Wall Street Journal and New York Times look the same as um, the fake Denver Guardian. Why not put some, you know, credible site? And why not put a credibility rating? If a site keeps getting debunked by uh fact checkers you can say by the way this is what you know you, you don't stop people necessarily from sharing it but you could unflatten the user interface with more signals of credibility and you could also change the related articles part so that if there's a suspicious you know site that's just going viral you can say well you know you might want to look at this too you're not making decisions for people there you're just saying don't just look there, here, look here. I think the Myanmar story, even though it's a small nation, is very instructive. Uh, I mean, we have viral misinformation on Facebook that is spreading in a country without 
any of the institutions we have. It's not like they don't have Snopes, they don't have actual, you know, reputable journalists with established institutional support or something like that. And we have hundreds of people dead in a campaign of ethnic cleansing. Um, I mean, beyond more advanced democracies, you know, I think people working at Facebook and running this, running Facebook, they have to think, where are we going to be when history books are written? I, and I'm serious. I'm not just sort of, um, I, I'm not exaggerating because I'm personally upset. I think this is going to be a key part of what gets written uh, in when we write the history of the early 21st century. Seems like a big deal to me beyond one election in one country. Zainab, it's always so wonderful to talk to you, to hear what you're thinking, and uh, just so grateful for the work you've been doing in this area. And as you say, it's not like you're new to it. You've been thinking about it for quite a while. And I want to say, it's always in defeat partisans learn. So when I brought this up many years ago, uh, when Obama's campaign was using social media so effectively, it fell on deaf ears. I literally first brought it up to people on that side because they're so effective. So if they're conservative people listening to this and thinking, oh, this is great, you know, our candidate won, it never stays that way. And I think the damage is done to the whole political system, no matter where you are on the spectrum. Uh, you can't have deliberative democracy if your institutions of deliberation are broken. And I think that's where we are. Zainab Tufekci is a techno-sociologist who researches the intersection of politics, news, and the internet, and teaches at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. She spoke with Berkman Klein Center co-founder and Harvard professor Jonathan Zittrain. Facebook and Google have recently instituted processes to remove fake news sites from their ad networks. And since this interview, Facebook has also announced options allowing users to flag fake news and a partnership with the fact-checking website Snopes to offer a layer of verification on questionable sites. You can find links to news about that, as well as more about our guests at the show notes for this episode on our website, cyber.harvard.edu.